Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Saffles that travels the globe to bring you the most important stories from the property world. And today we're casting our net across the European hotel sector and asking whether its seemingly strong recovery is founded on firm ground or shifting sands. The sentiment and the appetite from the capital that's available today is certainly thinking longer term and This is ultimately a buying moment. And as more investment opportunities come to market, we'll be asking whether there's a new reality in assessing those opportunities. Coming out of the crisis, leases will come through with lower levels of fixed rent, higher degrees of variable rent, and more of a a sharing mechanism that aligns the interests of the property owner with the tenant. I'm Guy Ruddle, and joining me are three people who spend their whole lives in hotels, so to speak. Tim Stoyle is Savile's Head of Hotel Valuations for EMEA. That involves advising investors and developers on the value of everything from tourist hotels to luxury resorts and trophy hotels. Tim, nice to talk to you again. Yes, good morning, Guy. Yeah, and Tim also acts as an expert witness in dispute resolution cases, which will come in handy if his colleague Richard Dawes kicks off. Hello, Richard. How are you? Morning, Guy. (laughs) Richard is a director in the Savills Hotels team advising on cross-border investments in EMEA. And our third guest is an outsider, a non-Savills person, David Kellett is a Senior Director of Hotel Transactions for the Hotel Fund Management team at Invesco Real Estate. David, welcome to Real Estate Insights and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Guy, and thank you, Savills. Richard, let me talk to you first. So last time we talked about the European hotel sector was at the beginning of the year. Everything was rosy in the garden. I listened back to that episode a, a, a couple of days ago and, God, it seemed like a different world. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Ultimately, taking off the taps and government lockdowns and ultimately, what do you have at the end of the day? A very challenged sector who's struggling to procure the demand to keep their businesses afloat. As we've gone through the lockdown process across Europe, uh, different drivers, whether that's government-led or regional-led, has impacted it separately. But people are demonstrating their intent to survive and the robustness of the mature sector that is hotels. It's phenomenal to see the energy uh, across Europe and whilst it's a challenging period I'm very optimistic for the future and you know we uh, uh, David we are we're basically going to spend the next 15 minutes or so looking forward but but I, I sort of pretty much have to ask you know as somebody who who is invested in hotels and looking to invest in hotels as well how have you dealt with the last six months or so well it's uh, it's fair to say it's been tough unprecedented is the is the bad word but it's sort of the only one that really works and you know we're a landlord we're a real estate owner uh but our tenants are in you know there's a lot of uh, trouble out there which which needs to be worked through so we've spent all of our time on our existing portfolio it's all been about restructuring um actually resetting leases to to work for the future as much as anything else. And so there has to be a bit of acceptance where perhaps deals were, weren't quite geared in the right way before, and maybe they need to be re-looked at. Um, I, I sort of view it optimistically as a chance to actually reappraise how we look at it. Uh, and it gives a lot of, it helps us look forward as well, because you can see what you've done in the past and what, what worked and what didn't work, and then what you can look at in the future again. 
Yeah. So let's uh, again. I, I want to sort of. I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit later, a bit more about the the, the changing relationship between you and your tenants, and, and on, on a sector by basis. But Tim, I I talk to people in this sector a, a fair amount, and and the thing they always talk about is the long term nature of the business, as the sort of that that's what they're they're clinging to. Is is that? Is that something that sort of feeds through to valuations? Have there been big fluctuations in valuations or are people looking at a distant horizon and sticking to their guns, do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the fundamental approach to the valuation of hotel assets is a longer term cash flow approach. And I think what we have to do for hotels is if we, the obvious comparison is actually what's happened in the retail sector. But what we're looking at in retail is a complete structural change in the way people shop. People are still buying, but just in a different way. The issue that hotels have got, we see as very much a temporary issue. And therefore, if people want to stay away from home for all sorts of good reasons, ultimately, they're going to choose a hotel. And our job in the valuation world at the moment is just is forecasting when that return to normalized usage will take place and clearly then factoring what that does to values. That's a very that, that you you said that in a sort of very plain, simple way. Our job is forecasting when it's going to return to some sort of normal. <laughs> Good luck with that. Well, that's our job ultimately. Um, you know, we're paid to give a view. We work with operators, we work with owners, and we look at the anticipated cash flow over the next two to three years. The general consensus is, and obviously, it's we look at it on an asset by asset basis rather than a sector as a whole. But we're generally anticipating that between three and four years should see a return to normalised trading levels. Yeah, well, that's three and four, three or four years—that's that's, that's quite a long time, gents. David, is that, you, do you think there's well, something it, similar? It, it is a long time, but the investments that we're making made for 10 to 20 years and people want to travel that whole move towards experiences over stuff if that's the right phrase is one of those trends that is sort of one of the big picture consumer trends that is there that is all positive for travel you look at the rise of a global middle class and we look at you know we're investing in the top 10 top 20 cities in europe those are the most visited cities in the world a place like Paris and Rome and Barcelona, people, when they can travel again, they will. Um, and we, we all have quite short memories. So I'm probably more optimistic on pace of recovery than a lot of the things I read. I wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't underwrite on that basis. But the um, I think you've got to remember the long-term trends. And I think they're different in hospitality versus retail. It's a, it's a good comparison uh, because we haven't seen that big structural shift to say that people won't travel again uh, because I think they will. They might order their holidays online, but they're not actually going to do their holidays online. Yeah, I'd probably add to that um, is is whilst that's a very big time period to think about, actually we'll see a huge polarisation in the quality of buildings and their speed of recovery and equally the quality of the operators and the management team behind these buildings that will drive, and as we've seen across Europe and, and from Asia, et cetera, in different recovery time periods, actually some assets will recover a lot quicker. So let's let's talk then about that, 
yeah, that element of it, the the the, uh, the activity in the market now, because you know people aren't buying to, to, to as as we've said for what happens in the next six months. Richard, how much activity are you seeing in the market in terms of investment activity, buying and selling, etc.? Well, look, it, it's obviously very depressed relative to the, the the norms that we've seen across Europe of circa twenty four, twenty five billion annually uh, across the the continent. Uh, today, it's it's much lower. The UK, for instance, we're only at about one point eight billion relative to probably three to four as a normalised environment, and those have been led by some pretty standout transactions such as the Ritz. And we're expecting over the next few days another transaction in central London in the service department arena of multiple hundreds of millions. So it is polarizing, but I think the sentiment and the appetite from the capital that's available today is certainly thinking longer term. And this is ultimately a buying moment where there's some views as a little bit more of a a weaker view. So if you can buy today competing against fewer competitors, that presents an opportunity to me. Yeah, because, you know, when I said earlier to Tim that I, that I talked to a lot of people in in the sector, you know, some of the people in the sector are saying that, that exactly that, that there's going to be, you know, there are going to be opportunities because, frankly, businesses, hotel businesses are going to be in a ones that aren't correctly financed, if you like, are going to be in a lot of trouble. And there are going to be, you know, to use a layman's terms, bargains to be had. Yeah, I think the the, the Look, it depends on the market. It depends on the asset quality, how under capex it's been historically. Uh, but there's certainly a moment of of mismatch in the view of what pricing is today. And you are able to capture a few things that are quite interesting for the long term. Uh, we're seeing in Germany not much of a discount at all across the board. Uh, and that's part driven by the local sentiment and the investor appetite there. But for sure, there will be assets where they were slightly over leveraged pre-COVID, uh, it was distressed pre-COVID, and and COVID has ultimately tipped them over the edge. Tim, is there a a, a difference between the different type of assets? Do you think which of the assets do you think uh, are likely to, to 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 be stronger in terms of valuation? Well, there's a number of things, and I'd just like to say something else on Richard's point there. You know, it, his history has told us that once we experience difficult markets that the problems that an asset might have get magnified and that's where the opportunity exists. CapEx is absolutely one of them where you've got an asset owner who doesn't have cash flow to facilitate necessary CapEx. That creates a fantastic buying opportunity for the well-invested purchaser. So that's one side certainly that we're looking at. There are some developments um, which again we're seeing stalling, um, potentially being halted another great opportunity for buyers. Um, where value is being uh, maintained, yes, the leisure, the leisure and domestic leisure markets are obviously seeing a bounce back, and that's across all parts of Europe. Um, and we anticipate that that will remain for the next two to three years. And then the other ones, as um, we've talked about already, is where you've got strength of operator, where the good operators are, Um, that's where we see they'll be able to maintain performance and help maintain value. David, you talked earlier about, you know, that you're being more comfortable that your assets are in the in the prime cities around Europe. So that's that's one thing. Do you think that going forward that, you know, for instance, you'll be more interested in stuff where where there's a domestic market for for it more than an international market for it and and the like? Or are there other dynamics in there that you're you're beginning to think about? It's a good uh, question because I think the domestic 
thing is quite short-term focus. So the recovery, uh, the domestic-led recovery, yes, you know, short-term, it's very good for you know things like extended stay. It's very good for the budget sector. Um, but actually, if you go back to the long-term, being in central Paris, central Madrid, Rome, whatever those cities are, that is a good store of long-term value, particularly on the real estate side. So the way uh, we think about it is you know, get the market right, first and foremost, get the micro-location right within that. And that is the really important thing. And so we get very fussy about the micro-location of the assets that we go for. And some of the down to what's the sort of d- down to a, a district in a city or or a street? Or? Down to the street really? level. I would say, I mean, you know, we bought last year in Amsterdam in the Canal District. And at the minute, there's nobody in Amsterdam. There's no, there are no, there's no demand for hotels in Amsterdam. But that canal area, well, I don't know how many there are, whatever, eight, nine of them in the, yeah. and you can't get, there is no ability to develop a hotel in that area. There's a moratorium on new hotel development. And so you have a scarcity of product, which means that that holds its long-term value. And I think when you've got what this crisis creates is an opportunity actually different from the last crisis because the big cities have been the most impacted. And so there could well be an opportunity to acquire assets in that quality of location um, at you know at prices that haven't been seen for a while. Mm. And that becomes very interesting because if you said today, can I can I sell that asset in 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 Amsterdam? Yes, that that's saleable. I'm sure Savills I mean, may may not sell it for what we paid for it, but you could sell it. If you said I've got an, a, a hotel at the airport, uh, Skiphol, can you sell that today? It might be a different question, or the discount might be a whole lot bigger. <laughs> Richard's going. Oh, I could give it a go. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to have a go at that one. Um, no, I think. I think the other dynamic is also what, what's your alternative investment opportunities, and if you compare it against government bonds, equities, etc. Actually, the relative spread between hotel real estate and these bonds has never been greater in the last fifteen to twenty years. So ultimately, there's rel- risk-adjusted returns, but it's a really interesting environment to be chasing. And there's money out there, is there? For sure. Absolutely. We are under offer on quite a few transactions across Europe at the moment, a lot of off-market activity, which is which is interesting. Um, and certainly we're seeing some transactions take longer seeking that extra pound. But at the end of the day, we we are certainly very busy. And I think there will be a demonstration of intent by a lot of investors before the end of the year. There's plenty of equity money and there's plenty of investors who want to buy but the issue which is holding the market back in some instances is a scarcity of debt. Traditionally um, in the private sector of, of hotels you will find owners looking to raise finance from standard traditional banks of up to say 60% of the value will be funded through senior debt. And at the moment, the majority of lenders to the sector are concentrating their efforts on um, looking after their existing exposure and their existing customers and aren't interested in offering new debt out for new purchases or indeed very little for refinance. And clearly the lack of debt is um, is a restriction for deal doing in the market. So... A couple of other things I'd like to talk about sort of quite briefly because we're slightly running out of time. I want to come back to something uh, that David said earlier, which was about uh, leases and changing, David, the way you, you, 
you have the relationship you have with your tenants uh, to to an extent. Can you just give us a little expand on that a little bit? Um, yeah, I, th- I think if you look at deals that were struck pre-crisis, the the fixed rent levels crept up and crept up, and that sort of was again linked to the capital that was looking for deals and the sort of idea that there was less risk perhaps in the operating business than than we've shown. Now this this crisis is extreme. But I think what it means coming out of the crisis is that leases will come through with lower levels of fixed rent, higher degrees of variable rent, um, and more of a, a sharing mechanism that aligns the interests of the property owner with the tenant. So it's about true alignment of interest as much as possible. And that's what we look for in the structures we do. Um try and get them to work for our investors. And that's not a knee-jerk reaction and it'll all switch back in five years' time? Um, It's how we were looking at deals before the crisis, to be fair. Um, But I think it's sort of been exacerbated by the crisis. It will will move back towards norms as as markets recover, uh, as it always does. But I, I think it's something that... Um, what we've seen is the the deals that held up the best were the ones with the most resilience in them. The ones that were stretched pre-crisis, those have been the ones that have been quickest to fall over. Tim, so it's sort of obvious, I guess. But. Yeah, well, yeah, but there's no such thing as, you know, common sense until someone says it. Um, Tim, is that something that, you, that you're conscious of as well when, you, when you're looking at valuations ar- around Europe? Yeah, absolutely. And and part of the issue for for David and other investors is how the market prices the uh, the turnover percentage of income, what additional risk is associated to that and therefore what the overall asset pricing is. Um, and again, that's, that speaks to the future performance of the asset and, and how we judge the reasonableness of the numbers which are put forward. Does that mean that you end up, I'm just sort of, you know, I'm I'm a bear of very little brain, so this may be a really stupid thing to say, but does that mean you end up saying, well, this, is, this, this asset is, is, has a value of X if it's operated by one person who's really clever and Y if it's operated by another person who's less good at doing it in, historically? Well, certainly we're always trying to look at the, the, um, the long-term performance of an asset. And we also, we, we typically look at what a reasonable hypothetical operator would, would uh, achieve from an asset. So if we perceive there is over or under performance, then we have to factor that into the valuation. I mean, your example sounds a little extreme, but we do see you know, situations, as I say, where we've got what we perceive to be underperformance, you don't necessarily get full value for that because there's a belief that it may not be achievable in the long term. Richard, is your, is your business, is what you do becoming more complex, more complicated? I, I think it is to a degree. Um, obviously, relationships are critical to, to maintain our business and, and grow our, our, our pipeline. Um, working with our key clients and helping them through what is an extraordinary moment in in their uh, business lives. Um, I think David picked up on the the shifting sands relative to lease structures. Ultimately, that is a a very big arena and um, area of of challenge for structuring viable transactions today, whether that's on pre-lets or buying into a new structure and getting that valuation that Tim commented on, or it's adjusting the uh, the HMA, the Hotel Management Agreement, to both support 
um, the operators that need income to be motivated to operate these hotels where ultimately their cash flows and profits are going to be much lower. So it is certainly harder, but it's a fascinating moment. And I think this flight to quality, whether that's the building quality, the operator quality, the advisor quality, uh, the cap- the quality of the capital, ultimately, is, uh, is certainly uh, telling an interesting story. So, time for the Savile Standout Statistic. Can't come on Real Estate Insights without coming up with a statistic or a piece of advice or something like that. Let's start uh, with Tim. Tim, what's your Savile Standout stat this time? Well, as part of the work we've been doing, we've been doing some backward analysis on what happened after the GFC. And our intelligence says that it took 24 months for values to return to their pre-GFC level in prime markets and 36 months for sale volumes to recover. And I'm looking at it on the basis that we're 10 months into COVID in Europe, that actually we're a long way down the track and there's light at the end of the tunnel for us. Ah, a little bit of positivity. That's what we like. Uh, Richard, what about you? Uh, well, I think my next plane journey will be Madrid or Amsterdam if I can. So overall, service departments represent about 9.6% of the hotel stock across the top 10 European markets. And Madrid and Amsterdam rep- have only less than 5%. So that is my, my angle. And that's the buying opportunity, I think. Right. OK, so that's a buying opportunity. David, uh, it's a bit tough on you to come up with a statistic because you'll end up to tell us about your investment strategy or something like that if you're not careful. So let's, let, let's get a, can I get a top tip from you instead of a statistic? Of course. What would that be then? There seems to me to be quite a good opportunity to lend into this market. So there's, there's debt opportunities, uh, perhaps filling that gap where the banks don't want to lend uh, sort of 40 to 60 percent, 40 to 70 percent loan to value, taking some risk um, with some owners that may not want to sell today. So I think uh, something in the debt world could well be a very interesting opportunity as we look forward. Thank you for your time, David. And thank you very much, Richard and Tim. Thank you all uh, for being here, uh, giving us your wisdom and your time. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Uh, if you've uh, enjoyed it and want to find out more about the European hotel sector, can I point you in the direction of the Savills re- of the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. You'll find plenty to keep you occupied there. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.